finished up our series last week um, called Life Together. We were preparing to start home groups, and so we were just learning what does it look like to be a disciple, and how do we, how do we live in relationship with one, eno- one another, helping each other to grow, growing ourselves into who God's called us to be? What does it look like reaching out and discipling others? Those are some things we were learning um, if you missed some of those, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that's going to tell you every week, go back and listen to the sermon I preached. But I will say that the stuff that we covered is going to be core things in our church body going forward. Our, our heart, our intention is to be a relational people. Um, I believe God called us to be in relationship with him. You know, one of the songs we were singing this morning, the simple gospel, it might feel kind of weird going to church and singing, I'm laying down my religion. It's like, wait a minute. Aren't we here kind of walking out religion? But what we're, we're not doing something religious. We're doing something relational. God has invited us into a relationship with him, and he's given us each other. And he's designed us to grow in our relationship with him and with one another, learning to love each other. And so that is just core and foundational to who we are. And, and my hope and prayer is as this church grows and becomes whatever God has for us, that it's going to flow out of our love and relationship with God and with each other. And so we want to encourage you guys to plug into life groups. Um, go back and listen to some of those messages. They're on our website, just so that truth can get in you. That, that can be a part of our DNA. Um, and then um, if, if you were already in one this week, we had 25 people. I think I did the math right between talking with you guys. I think we had 25 people in our two life groups that started this past week. Um, so we just launched them. They were very introductory. It's not too late to get in. If you want info, we've got these little Grace Chapel Life Group cards. They're right over there on that table. Um, the Hawkins family is hosting one. The Richmond's family is hosting another one. Um, they're on Tuesday and Wednesday evenings. Um, the Hawkins will take a break this week. Is there any sort of gathering with your peeps? Some sort of a dinner? So you could... Yeah. <laughs> You probably shouldn't be at that dinner the night your wife gives birth. Yeah, probably not. Okay, so the Hawkins won't be at that dinner, but they'll get together. So we just want to encourage you guys to plug into community. Man, this is a great way to really start building a relationship with each other. And, and our heart is that these groups, that you form awesome relationship with each other that lasts a long time. But we also want to tell you up front, um, our desire is that people in these groups grow and become leaders of groups themselves. And so... Not only is this relationship building, but it's, it's learning how to disciple and pour into others. And so that's going to be kind of the heartbeat of these groups. So plug into them. Um, there's contact information on here to get in touch with Rob and with Alex if you'd like to join those groups. You know, you can also just be friendly and walk up to them at church on a Sunday and say, hey, can I invite myself to your house and come to your group? So check those out. We'd love for everybody to plug into those. Um, we were thrilled getting those started this week. Okay, so there's the announcements. Um, now this morning, we're starting a new series called Following Jesus. This series is intentionally going to track with, um, I, I use the term curriculum very loosely, but the curriculum we're using in our life groups. Um, the curriculum is really the Bible. We're going through stories from the life of Jesus. Um, there's a little app that we're using called E3 Challenge. You can get that on your phone. You can go online and find that. It's a free app. It literally, it's just broken down stories from Jesus' life. The scripture is there and discussion questions are there. That's it. That's, that's the curriculum. And so we're going to look at Jesus' life and we're going to say, hey, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about who I am and about how I interact in this world and in my relationship with the Lord? And then we're going to grow together and see how that applies to our lives. So that's where we're heading. So the next about six weeks or so, I'm just going to teach the first six stories that we're going to be doing in our life groups um, and then those will continue. There's about 120 stories. And so 
Um, if you map that out, it's gonna be about a three year process growing through all that. So anyway, lots of cool stuff inside the app. There's a little podcast in there that myself and Jimmy record. We call each other on the phone once a week and record a podcast where we just talk for 10 or 15 minutes about the stories. It gives you a feel of maybe what a life group would look like sitting down and having conversation with people. So you can kick, click play and listen to two guys chat if you wanna do that. Um, so that's available in there as well. All right, this morning, Starting off our series following Jesus, we're looking at the baptism of Jesus. So this is found in Matthew chapter 3. If you want to turn there and follow along um, in your own Bible, you can do that. Um, We're basically going to be camping right in about four or five verses here um, with a few other things that we'll look at along the way. And so Matthew chapter 3, this is really the start of Jesus' ministry. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've kind of skipped over. We'll probably come back to it around Christmas time. We sort of skipped over his birth and some of the things that happened in his early childhood. Um, there's one little miracle he's done. The wedding at Cana has already happened at some point in time. I'm sure we'll talk about that together. But this is really the launch or the start of Jesus' public life in ministry is the story of him being baptized. Several of the Gospels tell this story. We're going to kind of focus on Matthew's Gospel this morning. And so in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13... Matthew writes and he says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, this is John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is how Jesus launches his ministry. He doesn't gather everybody together and give a huge speech. He doesn't say, Hey, John, Cousin John. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He doesn't call him and say, hey, all these people have been following you. You know, you've been letting them know that there's another one coming that's going to be the Messiah. So we're going to hold a rally. Why don't you bring all your people to come to this place? I'm going to give this big speech. He doesn't do any of that. He humbles himself and he comes to John and he does what everybody else has been doing. That's been hearing John's message that the kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, John had just finished preaching That message, this is like John's stump speech almost. Every time he shows up and people gather, he declares the same thing. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's it's right there in Matthew chapter 3, just at the very beginning of the chapter, verses 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is John's message. He's been declaring God's kingdom is coming near. Now, I don't know if that's, a strange phrase to us when you hear the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, there's, there's been some contexts where that declaration has even been a sound of judgment. Oh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning like judgment's coming. You better get your act together. That's not, that's not what John was saying. He was saying God is arriving on the scene. His kingdom is available. It's coming near. You have access to it. Therefore, repent. John's message wasn't, you are a sinner, repent. His message was, God is near, repent. God is near, repent. And see, this actually follows a pattern that we see throughout Scripture. When when kingdom is preached, when God shows up on the scene, 
People react a very specific way. We see it in the Old Testament and in the New. I want to show you an example this morning from the New Testament. Peter is fishing. He hasn't started following Jesus yet. He's fishing. And Jesus shows up, and these guys have been fishing all night long. They haven't caught anything. And Jesus performs a miracle. He tells them, go back out, do this with your net, let it down. And they catch this unbelievable load of fish that starts to flood their boat. And Peter's response to seeing this miracle takes place is found in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Now think about this. Apart from this being a divine intervention, this is a strange interaction. When something miraculous happens in your life or when you get really good news, is your reaction to fall on your knees and go, wow, I'm a sinner? That's not my typical reaction. Unfortunately for me, usually when something amazing works out in my life, my reaction tends to be, finally. It's about time. That's my reaction. But that's not what Peter does. In the scripture, when people have an encounter with God, their reaction is, whoa, I'm a sinful person. They see God for who he is, and all of a sudden it becomes really clear who they are and what their need is. But this isn't, this isn't natural. This isn't how we react. You know, I, I had this image this week. I guess it was fresh on my mind because it was just from a few Saturdays ago. But did anybody see that Tennessee-Georgia game that just had that unbelievable ending to it? I mean, it was like this miracle comeback win. And there was this visual after the game of the coach, Butch Jones, and he just he runs out onto the field and he's just in such shock and awe of this miracle, he drops to his knees and is just like, how many of you think he was saying, woe is me, I'm a sinful man? <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. He's just in awe. He's in awe. But see, when we, when we become in awe of who God is, of his miraculous presence, of the fact of what John is declaring, the kingdom is near. God's not angry with you and ready to judge you. He's near, drawing near to you because he loves you. He has shown up to intervene in your life, to invite you into his kingdom and his presence. And our reaction is to go, whoa, I need to repent. And so that's what John was talking about. He comes preaching this message saying, God's kingdom is near. It's time to repent. And as he is talking about this, as he is sharing this, Jesus walks up on the scene. I mean, imagine John. He's like finishing his sermon saying, this person's going to be coming who's going to be the Messiah, who's going to reunite us with God. We need to get ready for that. We need to repent. And all of a sudden, there he is. He shows up right as he's talking. And look at the interaction that takes place. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3. Then... Then Jesus from Galilee came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And look at John's reaction. It's a lot like Peter's. Verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and yet you come to me. John realizes something's out of order here. I'm the one that's in need of you, Jesus. You don't need to come be baptized to me. Here's the amazing thing about Jesus. When God draws near, when God's glory comes near, his glory reveals our position. I'm, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. His glory reveals our position. But God's grace changes our position. It changes our position. 
we're in a spot where I'm in need and I'm distant and I'm removed from him because woe is me, I'm a sinful man, I'm a sinful woman. But he doesn't leave us there. His grace draws near and he invites us to have our position changed. I no longer have to stand there as a sinner in shock, in awe of God, removed and distant from him. I come near. And the reason why is because of what Jesus has done. See, John talked about it. John declared our position. You're in need of repentance. Jesus did something about it. He acted on our behalf. See, our, our, our world, our culture, in fact, for thousands of years, we've had many prophets. Some of them have been like prophets from God. Some of them have just been man-made prophets that recognize our condition, our need. There's songs written about it. There's poems written about it. There's literature written about it, about our condition. We're in trouble. We're in need. Our life is difficult. This world is hard. We need someone somewhere to intervene. There's a lot of prophets that can point out our need. The uniqueness of Jesus is he's come and done something about our need. And what did he do? He came and stood in our place. Verse 15. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. See, the question is, well, I let Jesus do in my life what John let Jesus do right there. Jesus has the same offer for you and I. Will you let me stand in your place? Will you recognize your need of me, a savior? And then will you let me come in and do what you can't? My glory has made it clear you need a savior. My grace has made it available for your position to change. Let me stand in your place. And so that's what Jesus did at the start of his ministry. And at the very start, he's making it clear what he came to do. The rest of his time on earth, as we're going to see together, he was continually putting himself in our place and yet also revealing God here with us. And it was that, that march to the cross that he was on. And it starts right here in baptism. And so John consents. The question is, will I? Will I consent and will I repent? Will I recognize that he's come to stand in my place? And will I take that in? Will I take that on? So the story continues. John relents. He allows him to be baptized. And so here Jesus comes. And in verse 16, watch what takes place. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. Remember that, like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I want to pause right here and talk for a minute about what baptism is. I want to talk about what baptism is. Jesus was very symbolically doing something that was pointing towards the cross. And not just the cross. He was pointing towards the cross, his death. It was pointing towards burial, and it was also pointing towards resurrection. So let's just take a look at what happens here, okay? First of all, Jesus comes, and listen, there's different streams of Christianity that do different things. I, I personally believe in full immersion in water. That's what Jesus did here. And I think it's important because it represents something very specific. It represented him going into the grave. It was a picture of Jesus dying in our place. And so he gets dunked under the water. It's like he's going into the grave. It's representative of that. And then, so we have his death, right? 
And he's there under the water in need, but he doesn't stay there. He comes back to life. And so as he comes up out of the water, it's that picture of Jesus raised again. And so often in, in, our, um, in our own way, as we live out what Jesus did, when we get baptized, you know, different preachers or different people baptized will say different things, but generally they'll say something along the lines of um, baptized into his death, raised again to newness of life, something along those lines. They'll say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's not just thrown in there. There's reasons why that's said. First of all, in this story, we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son standing in our place as our Savior, dying and risen again for us. We see the Holy Spirit present. The dove represented God's Spirit. He came down in that form. The Holy Spirit is present. And the Father's there. What's the Father declaring? This is my Son. I love Him. He's awesome. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The passage of Scripture that we've been reading for weeks and weeks together, when Jesus said, go do this, what did he say? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we do that. It's a picture of the fullness of God and what he's done for us. And so here's baptism. So when Jesus does it, he's symbolizing his death, burial, and resurrection. I would also point out something really cool. When he comes up out of the water, what descends on him? The dove representing what? Come on, y'all can say it out. Holy Spirit, okay? Sometimes we leave that out in our gospel presentation. Jesus died for us. He rose again from the grave so we can have eternal life. He lives eternally, and if we put our trust in him, we do too. That wasn't the end of the story. What did he tell the disciples was gonna happen? I want you to wait, because when I return to the Father, you're gonna receive the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit comes and rests on us and gives us power to live the life God's called us to live gives us assurance of our position in him. And so here's Jesus. That's what it symbolized in his life. So when, when we get baptized, I just want you guys to have an understanding of this. When we get baptized, it's, it's two things. Number one, it's an outward symbol of something that's been decided inwardly. I'm not lost in my sin until I get dunked underwater. I've made a decision to follow Jesus already in my heart. And so outwardly, I'm saying, I'm going to obey and follow through with this thing Jesus told me to do. And so it's a picture or a symbol that I died to my old way of life and I have a brand new life with Jesus. I'm trusting him. It's the picture of it. That's the symbol. But secondly, beyond the symbol, it's also a sign to everybody else to say, I'm with him. It's a way of identifying yourself with Jesus. It's a way to declare, I belong to him. And so it's a picture of something that's happened in the heart and it's a declaration of your identity. Now, what are the results of baptism? Well, let's see what the results were for Jesus right here and then see if there's anything we can learn about ourselves. First of all, the dove comes and rests upon him. If I were to ask you, what's kind of like the universal symbol of a dove, what would you say? Peace, right? We know that. One of the first things that happens when we give our life to Jesus is we have an assurance of peace with God. And the greatest assurance of that is his own presence comes. He says, I'm with you now. We're together. I'm in this thick and thin. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's scripture that we quote, right? Jesus says, abide in me and I abide in you. He says his spirit comes and lives within us. We have peace. We have assurance. We don't have to walk around fretting, struggling, wondering. We are assured. It is settled. His peace comes. Secondly, not only is peace declared, but our identity is settled. 
What does God say? That's my boy. That's my son. He declares it openly and publicly. Now our identity is secure. Our place is assured and settled. Our identity as a son or a daughter of God is there. So our peace is secured and our identity is set. And then finally, what's the result of of having that identity settled? Affirmation and love. There's two things that the father says. Number one, he calls Jesus his beloved son. He's saying, I love him. But the second thing he says is, I'm well pleased in him. I'm well pleased. In other words, I love him and I like him. This has been one of my, my favorite scriptures. And I have to say as a parent, like the Lord has, has used this in my heart big time to make sure I communicate both of those things to my kids on a regular basis. It's important for me to let them know I love you. They need to hear that. They need to know that. They need to have that issue settled in their heart. Secondly, they need to know I like them. I mean, if all they see of me is I'm disappointed, discouraged, frustrated with them, like I'm communicating something. There there is a sense of acceptance and affirmation when when my child knows mom likes me, dad likes me. It, it, It gives you this sense of just assurance and settledness. Listen, whether we as parents fall short in some of those areas or not, our father in heaven makes it clear. I love you and I like you. I'm pleased with you. You're mine. You're my kid. He wants to show you off and brag about you to other people. Check out Caleb, my son. I love that guy. I mean, I like him so much. Here's what he's like. Here's what he does. He's a reflection of who I am. That's what happens when we, when we identify ourselves with Jesus, when we repent and say, okay, God, I want you to change my position. I'm yours now. And I want to declare that publicly. I've made the decision in my heart. God, I am yours We are at peace with God. We're at peace with him. Our identity is assured. I'm his child. And what comes with being his child is knowing I am loved and accepted by God. It's massive. It's life-changing. What if, because see, a lot of you guys might be sitting here this morning, you're like, Jake, I know this stuff, man. I've, like, I'm here. I've I've said yes to Jesus. Many of you have probably been baptized. Why are we talking about this? Here's the issue, and this this is just from my own heart. I'm shocked how often I live like this isn't necessarily true. I believe it up here, but am I actually walking around every day with that sense of just assurance, of knowing like everything's good. My dad loves me, and he doesn't love me because I've got it all together. He loves me because he stood in my place. His son came and died for me, and I've said, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. I give you my life. And there is a level of peace that God wants to invite us into that we can live in this life. And there's a sense of identity. I don't don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live in worry and anxiety because, man, if that issue is settled, all the others are settled. They'll be taken care of. If I could walk around with that deep sense that God loves me and he likes me, he created me just the way that I am. I wonder how many of us could even say, like, I know that God likes me. How big would that be if we could have those things settled in our heart? That's what Jesus came to do. Now, listen, I'm not just making this up. I'm not just taking things that happened here that were said over Jesus and then going, well, they were said over Jesus and he died for us. So that must mean they're real for us. The New Testament is full of scripture that says this stuff is now us. I want to show you an example. I kind of skipped over that Matthew 10 verse, didn't I? Maybe we'll come back to it in a minute. We'll see. I'll leave it handy. Okay. 
Um, I'm skipping ahead here for just a minute. So Romans chapter 8. Can we skip to that, buddy? Romans chapter 8. Now I'm just going to read to you verses 11 and 15. I would highly encourage you, if you want some homework, nobody really wants homework, but if you want some homework, go home and read all of Romans chapter 8. It's chocked full of who we are and all the things that are settled in our lives because we belong to Jesus. But I want you to see these things. Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he's talking about the Holy Spirit there. If he dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So you have now that same life that Jesus has. That's where that peace and assurance comes from. I'm his eternally. Skipping down to verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father. So God's spirit comes and lives in us, settles the issue of who we belong to. And now his spirit is in us saying, God, you're my dad. The same father who loved Jesus is my dad. And he loves me and I'm assured of his place in my life. I'm assured of my position with him. It's covered because I have aligned myself with him and I've received his spirit. And so I want to go back and show you something that was really cool going on here. So back to our passage in Matthew. The last thing that John was preaching about before Jesus walked up, he'd been encouraging people to repent. He'd been telling them the kingdom of God is available He'd been letting them know, listen, you're now, you're now a sinner in need of repentance. This kingdom is available. And he said, somebody's coming and he's going to do something incredible when he comes. Check this out. Matthew chapter three, verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Jesus immediately shows up as John is talking about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus comes. He stands in our place so that we can come and stand in his place. He came and was baptized by water so we could come and be baptized by his spirit. The spirit of God now comes and is with me and is in me. My position is settled and assured. I'm his. And, and it's his spirit that will remind me of this truth that I can so easily forget. I can so easily forget my position, but his Holy Spirit comes and reminds me, no, that's your daddy. That's your father. He loves you. You can be assured he's not gonna leave you. He'll bring peace in life. Even in the midst of all the craziness, he's there, he's present, he's with you. You can be assured of that. You can know that he loves you and he's proud of you. See, there's a whole new way of living that I can step into when I recognize and receive this truth. And so Jesus came in our place, was baptized in our place, and now we can say yes to him. We can identify ourselves with him by choosing to repent and follow him, by identifying ourselves with him, publicly taking a stand and being baptized. <clears throat> and then we can choose to receive his Holy Spirit. Let Jesus baptize us in his Holy Spirit.
That is what is available to us. Now check this out, just to kind of pull all this together. We repent because the kingdom is near and available. We're baptized, which settles our identity. His spirit comes and gives peace and affirmation. And then where we're heading, you know, I don't know if you guys know the story, but there's something that happens immediately after this. Anybody know what happens immediately after Jesus' baptism? Say it louder, Crystal. He gets called to the desert. The Holy Spirit takes him from that place, this public, amazing declaration, and he goes straight to the desert. Sounds scary, sounds difficult, sounds challenging. I want to say this now, and then we're going to launch from this point next Sunday. When our position and identity is assured and settled, when we've settled that issue in our heart, then and only then are we ready for the adventure God's going to call us to. He's going to call us to an adventure. It's going to be exciting and it's going to be challenging. I don't know if you guys read any adventure stories or love adventure movies. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Read the book several times. It's fun to read. But if you're the one in the story, it's not fun. It's not exciting. We enjoy them. But the truth is, if you're on an adventure, it's challenging. It's difficult. It's it's at different moments along the way, different checkpoints where you recognize, oh, something kind of incredible is happening. It's when you reach the other end of the journey where you look back and go, look what that produced. Look what was overcome. Look what was accomplished. But when you're in the middle of it, it's tough. And I just have to tell you, following Jesus is going to be tough sometimes. So he wants you to know up front, I'm with you. And you can be at peace and you can be assured that I've called you and I love you and I'm proud of you and I'm with you. And now if you'll trust me, I'm going to take you on an adventure of a lifetime. And it's going to be difficult, but it's going to be worth it. That's where we're heading as we follow Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you that you have come and you have stood in our place. God, I thank you. You don't, you don't mask the truth. You let us see the reality of our position. God, when we recognize who you are truly, when we really see you, we recognize pretty quickly we're in need. God, we fall short. But Lord, I thank you because of your grace. Jesus, because you came and stood in our place, our position can change. God, that we can now say, I'm with you. We can align our hearts and our lives with you. We can repent of an old way of life that was apart from you. And we can accept life in you. God, we can settle that in our heart. God, we can declare it publicly that we belong to you. And Jesus, we can ask you to give us your Holy Spirit and you say you will. Your Spirit will come and live in us and be with us and empower us. God, would you settle these issues in our heart? Lord, if there's anyone in this room that is unsettled on this, God, if they still have questions, if they don't know, Lord God, I pray you would just stir them to a holy curiosity. God, to seek you out, to, to make a decision to follow you. Not, not a quick decision, not a haphazard decision, but God, they just be faced with the reality of your great love and your presence and make a decision to say, God, I'm with you. Lord, for those of us who are following you, God, would you just burn these truths deep into our heart? Holy Spirit, you live in us. Would you remind us daily of the peace that we have with you? God, of our identity in you as a son or a daughter, who is loved, who is liked, who is accepted. And God, would it give us just a sense of courage and a sense of peace and joy as we walk out this adventure with you, following you. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.